Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. We're going to share the near death experience of Lynn Claire Dennis today. She says, I recall precisely the moment that I broke the bands of this inimical world and was immersed in the warmth of of the light. Suddenly I was safe, warm, and basking in the luminous sunlight in the alpine meadows of Mount Rainier. I was no longer over the Alps. I was in Washington State. Somehow this made perfect sense. Here, in a place filled with vivid and joyous childhood memories, I took extraordinary comfort in the firmness of the ground beneath my feet. With gratitude and wonder, I wandered through the valley, suffused with a certain knowing that I had crossed a cosmic frontier. Was this heaven, or was it perhaps some place beyond that celestial other world I'd always hoped to be good enough to enter? All I knew, and knew for certain, was that time and space were nothing more than attenuated wisps of human invention. Both were webs of light created in my consciousness. As my being expanded, I saw the cords of years that bound me to the planet. The bond, which was aided from strands of days, bands of months, and ribbons of years, fashioned a nexus between then and now. No doubt this was the mountain of my childhood, but it was essentially different. It was real, yet it was out of sync with the abstraction of linear time. As I stood there, I realized that if time was all here now, then it could not be a straight line. This could only mean that there could be no such thing as a beginning, a middle, or an end. Furthermore, it was here that I determined that I was out of time as well, even though I had a corporal existence. Never before had I considered that there might be such things as coexistent realities. Never had I imagined that there might be concurrent realms. Never in my wildest dreams had I thought there might be a way to remember and feel different times and events as if they were happening right now. I realized that in life, death is merely the other side of a threshold over which I could not normally see. So too, in death, life and the land of the living were on the side of, the, of a very thin veil. It struck me that perhaps neither heaven nor earth is as black or white as I had heretofore believed. It was then that I looked down at my body with amazement and wondered, where did this gown come from? I was no longer bound in heavy, restricting layers of winter wool, but was wearing an exquisite white gown that appeared to be fashioned of a fabric some master designer had created by splashing stardust on filigree spiderwebs. I watched as it seemed to float above my skin. It was as if a million tiny wings kept it from pulling putting even the weight of of a feather on my body. A sense of lightness permeated my being to what I thought must be cellular, indeed, cellular level. And then I heard the music. 
it was a tone so sublimely perfect that remembering it still brings tears to my eyes. I knew then and know now that what I was hearing was the symphony of angels, the song of the universe, what some have called the music of the spheres. All thoughts melted in this melody, and everything else ceased to be of any importance. I closed my eyes and began to dance, moving to the resonant vibration that coursed through my essence. The melody seemed to issue from a single point and was composed of one verse, a song whose mystical tone my entire being knew and sang. I bathed in its melody as utter joy filled my being, and as the sound washed over my spirit, I felt all confusion purged from my consciousness. Standing beneath this euphorious or euphonious canopy of grace, I knew love was being awakened at the depths of my soul. Moving with this aria of elegant mercy, I began to return to the dawn of totality as a growing sense of oneness welled within my heart, mind, and soul. Unspeakable joy filled my heart when I saw my paternal grandmother walking down the mountain. She approached me and enveloped me with open arms. The last time I had seen her was the summer of 1963. For more than 20 years, I carried the inconsolable grief in my heart because I never got to say goodbye. Now we were together again in a magical place where time held no meaning. As I talked of love, as we talked of love, I realized that it alone was real. We walked hand in hand in a vacuum beyond the boundary we call time. My grief disappeared as our love was redeemed from what I had believed to be an oblivion. We walked in a sacred space where earthly memory pictures were hung with physical frames. We traversed a realm that for many here in, in the here and now defies logical explanation or reason. Yet I know that it is a realm that is exceedingly real. It is a space where grace knows no bounds and only infinite love abounds. We only have to remember to make it real. In luxurious warmth, we moved on, draw, drawn higher to, into the valley, moving toward the source of the light. I made a single turn and a meadow suddenly became an amphitheater. On a stage that seemed to be suspended in front of me, I witnessed, with my grandmother, what seemed to be an encore performance of my life. Ninety degrees to my right was what I perceived to be a doorway, just within the range of my peripheral vision. It was from this doorway that every character who had played in my life's drama emerged. In turn, they walked to center stage where they faced me, as they greeted me, I inexplicably seemed to understand the highest purpose of our earthly connection. It was love. I saw each person for who he or she was, apart from the descriptions I had previously used to define each of them. As they taught me love, I realized what an important role we play in the development of one's, one another's personality. I saw how judgment, blame, and shame distort and destroy one's sense of 
self. For the first time, I saw the depths of the impression we make on one another's lives. I was greeted by acquaintances, friends, my grandparents, my father's best friend, as well as a school chum from seventh grade. One of them most one of the most wondrous encounters came when my maternal grandmother approached me carrying a baby. I knew this child was the son I had miscarried in the seven month pregnancy of a difficult pregnancy in nineteen seventy seven. Seeing him brought a new peace to my soul as I finally realized that this child of my heart had fulfilled his purpose to absolute perfection. By then and now, it was, in what was truly a magical moment, his tiny presence awakened a new measure of life within my being. It was only upon this sacred mountain that finally my highest self was endowed with the peace required to end my grief and grant this innocent infant his wings. I soon realized that time was not lin- is not linear, but rather is composed of life lessons, all of which I had passed through. This panorama flowed over me like a river of living water as my previously shallow awareness of love and life deepened i knew that nothing in my life or my death was an accident after each person shared his or her message the meaning of love each one turned uh, turned and exited through another door located to the left of the stage I knew without a doubt that I would soon walk through that door and join them on the other side. The last person to walk on the stage of my life was a man unknown to me. As he walked to the center of the stage and turned to face me, I noticed that my vision was no longer clear. Although I was certain this was not someone I knew, I could feel him at the depths of my soul. He began to speak, communicating directly to my heart. The message he shared that day was engraved on my body and my mind and my soul. Lynn Clare, you will be a catalyst for change, for love. You will bring forth hold and honor remembrance. You will bring to conscious awareness the realms, realities, and remnants in order that the spirit may remember the dance. I knew this was truth. I knew that I had never felt so remembered, recognized, understood, or loved. Yet, when he turned to leave, instead of following the others and walking off the stage through the door to my left, he turned towards the right. As I watched him return through the doorway from which he had entered, I clearly recall thinking this was important. Since that day, I've identified him as the presence. Suddenly the stage was gone and I was once again out of time. I was a witness, observing myself as a child. I watched as my innocent child self began to dance across the meadows. Then as I contemplated this celebration of life, I saw that in a single turn in my, her, walls, I, she, was no longer a child but a 35-year-old woman dancing alone in the Hofburg Palace. I was once more in my magical gown, moving along 
or moving alone in harmony with the music. In that moment, I chose to merge with that self and began to dance. Each step drew me closer to that to the light. Then, in a sacred place, somewhere before the light, I found myself being held, gently rocked, nurtured, and embraced in the arms of the one I believed to be the presence. Whether this was a guide, a guardian, a human man who has the ability to walk between worlds, or even an angel, it doesn't matter. For still today, this memory is alive. The presence vibrates within my senses and daily infuses my sentient memory archives with love. I knew then and remember now the warmth, serenity, and comfort I felt as I embraced in the arms of a long and still-remembered love. As I was cradled in this serene embrace, I was bathed in light. My spirit was imbued with a sense of peace, and my soul was engraved with the remembrance of a timeless love. As the experience dissolved into light, I found myself again moving higher up the mountain. When I paused to look back into the valley, I saw myself as a child again, this time picking a bouquet of wild alpine blooms. As I, she, waltzed through the meadow, I heard myself, her, singing, uh, calling out to the meadow, I love you, I love you. I'm home. I closed my eyes and wondered, am I home or am I going home? With my eyes closed, as if in a vision, without or within a vision, I saw my mother. I could not understand why she was there. As far as I knew, my mom was very much alive. Wasn't this the other side? I knew I was no longer alive and felt that I was in a space between the worlds. It was then that I saw the tunnel and knew with absolute assurance that I was on my way home, certain that the home I had long, long yearned for was in the light and at the other end of this passageway. As I was standing alone with my grandmother, she told me that I must make this part of the journey alone, filled with peace. I knew I would see her again on the other side. I was ready and without hesitation took my first step into the corridor that led toward the light, crossing an intersection that connected now with forever. Once I was inside the tunnel, it was as if someone at the other end was calling my name, drawing me forward. I knew that this passageway was taking me to the top of the mountain, leading me home into the light. I was overjoyed to be going to the summit, as all my life I had wanted to climb to the top of Mount Rainier. I had never made the attempt, believing that I would try and fail, or that I would die trying. I moved effortlessly into the passage. Soon, I knew I would be able to fly. Fly? The light was getting brighter and warmer as I moved through the tunnel. The music... The celestial symphony continued to fill the air with a psalm of oneness, played on unseen instruments of peace. I arrived at the pinnacle and, standing at the entrance of the light, took a single step 
leaving my right footprint embedded in eternity. I entered a sacred place, a place where I knew I had returned to my most essential nature, where I felt wholly and consciously united with all things and source, where a soothing balm of peace was poured on my spirit by an unseen hand, an emollient so rich in love that to this day I cannot fully absorb or comprehend it. And then, in one ephemeral glimpse, I saw the pattern. The single strand of the tapestry I knew was the essence woven through matter in every reality. Its design was so complexly simple that I knew it could only have been fashioned in the exalted intricacy of infinity. Seeing the pattern, I knew I was looking at life itself. It was light. It was time and space. It was the energy of all matter, the heart of all that mattered. It was the very essence of all being. It emanated from the source, illuminated to my mind by the source behind the sun, as it moved in perfect harmony with all the universe. As I prepared to meld into the source of light and absolute love, I knew with all my being that the pattern was the core of all substance. I knew that the music emanated from the pattern was the song of my heart, a testament of unconditional love. The single step I had taken was the first in a dance that would take me into the single point of infinite light, which contained the power of love that would forever illuminate my mind and heart. I inhaled and prepared to take the next step as the exhalation of love, the life force of the universe, carried me home. When, without warning, the melody screeched. Before I could move, a cacophony assaulted me. A cold wind rushed past me, and I remember crying out, No! I knew I was in the life-or-death struggle, this time with an unknown adversary who had grabbed me by my left foot. I was struggling with an enemy who was attempting to yank me backward, pulling me away from the light. I was enraged. I didn't want to leave. Yet, Even as I was being dragged back, I knew I had to remember. I twisted to the right to look at the pattern, knowing I must not forget. The enemy was my loving partner, Steve. As he frantically administered CPR, he pummeled my chest, forcing oxygen to circulate in my body. Later, he would insist that my, as I re-entered my body, my windmilling fists were empowered with an otherworldly rage. The exact length of time I was dead, in what is often referred to as the near-death experience, remains uncertain. However, making the ascent from 12,000 feet, where I remember going out of my body, to more than 17,000 feet would probably have taken more than 15 minutes. Although Steve was successful in reviving me, one thing was for certain. The woman he had brought back was not the same one who had left. After learning that I was in the essence of the being of light, I had to come back into this world and re-enter a dense physical body. Furthermore, almost every every belief I had embraced only hours before that I was a physical being, that love was outside of me, that God was some patriarchal monarchy sitting in a marble throne somewhere 
in the sky, that death was something to fear, that I was doomed by my past, that religion and spirituality were the same, that spirituality and science were different, was no longer true to my experience. Virtually every picture of reality I had used to define my existence, not to be confused with my life, had been cremated. The ashes of the woman I thought I was were scattered on the wind. Wow. Okay, here we go. This is a, uh, an example of the kind of language, a beautiful, beautiful language, but very ethereal kind of language, very, um, you know, transcendental kind of language. It's, it's kind of, you can kind of get lost in the uh, big, not the big words, but the big concepts, I guess you could say. But there's lots of things worth noting in this near-death experience. First off, she almost goes a little too far expressing uh, how time was basically meaningless in all of this. And, and she keeps saying, time meant nothing, time meant nothing, time meant nothing. And so, you know, I, I want to say, yeah, we get it, we get it. But we don't. That's the problem. We don't get it. And so, and so it's probably good that she brought it up so many times. It was interesting to me, though, that she said um, for her in that uh, sphere, in that realm, time was not a chronological passing of, of you know, events, but rather uh, just one event after another. So it's like, it's like instead of being measured in seconds or moments or waiting or, or doing or whatever, it was measured in actual experiences. At this point, you're doing this. At this point, you're doing this. At that point, you're doing that. And there may not even be a consecutive idea or feeling about them. But this event and this event and this event and this event, you know, she's in the light. She's speaking with the beings. She's seeing this stage. You know, each of these are separate events that she probably struggles to put them in a chronology saying this was first, this was second, this was third, but rather she says this was an experience and this was an experience and this was an experience. That may be the closest thing that I've heard to an explanation for time not flowing, not having a consecutive order. Um, that things were were measured in events in in what was happening rather than in moments which to us still doesn't make sense but it kind of hints at something it's like something at the tip of the mind says wait a minute there's something to that there's something there i really like her mention of musical stuff now i'm a musician so i love musical stuff and whenever i hear these things i'm like oh music i gotta hear more about this um she says that even thinking back and remembering that music brings tears to her eyes now, which is so cool. She was saying it was the symphony of angels, the song of the universe. We call the music of the spheres. And later she says it was emanating from the source or the light, whatever. And though that all seems unclear about where it's actually coming from. I mean, is it a bunch of angels? Is it a, is it, you know, the mountains themselves humming, singing, the planets themselves singing. It, and the, it sounds like the answer is, yeah, yeah, it's all of it. It's all of it. 
and whatever that means, however, whatever sense that um, has, I, I don't know, but very cool. And this line kind of illustrates, this is, this is where I got it uh, from the, the idea of things happening in events. I, I actually misquoted that or misidead that. <laughs> she says, I soon realized that time is not linear, but rather composed of life's lessons, all of which I had passed through. But that wording is even more interesting because it puts across the idea that it's not just, that time is not just, you know, event, 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 but rather lesson, lesson, lesson. Or if I could use another word, progression, progression, progression. And that's just cool. I mean, that idea of, of time as being a, a measure of progression. And then there's the mention of her baby, which is just a sweet, beautiful thing. She had miscarried in the seventh month of pregnancy, so she was at least six months pregnant, um, and it was a difficult pregnancy, and she miscarries. And uh, so she says, Seeing him brought a new peace to my soul as I finally realized that this child of my heart had fulfilled his purpose to absolute perfection. So even though all this child had experienced was a few months of pregnancy and hadn't even been born before dying, um, that his purpose had been fulfilled perfectly. So cool, so interesting. And, uh, and seeing him there um, awakened in her uh, a new measure of life, she says, that... Uh, that she was finally endowed with the peace required to end my grief and grant this innocent infant his wings so he can move on. So there's something, and I have, I don't know what to make of, of this idea of, you know, when she says, uh, grant this innocent infant his wings. Obviously, we're not talking about physical, you know, actual wings, but, but freeing him in some way. You know, it, I... I've heard people express the idea that that so and so can't move on until you let them go, or they can't um, move into the light until you come to terms with their death and so forth. And and I don't think it's fully uh, you know they're being physically held back like they just can't go spiritually they're unable, but I think they choose to not move on because of the grief that their loved ones are experiencing. So it's possible, and I don't know, but it's possible that this child, fulfilling his purpose, um, recognized the grief that his mother experienced from his death and uh, said, I, I can't leave her, not fully, I can't. I can't move on until she's ready. And so it sounds like this this uh, experience endowed her with the peace required to end my grief, she says, and to grant this innocent infant his wings. Now, I could be reading more into that. My guess is that I'm reading much less into it than it really is, that there's much more to it than what... Uh, 
what I'm suggesting, but it seems sometimes people will choose to hold back from going as far into the joy, into the light, into the, into the love of the next realm until they feel like their loved ones here are taken care of. And I don't know how that plays out in terms of, because we know a lot of, of our guardian angels, for example, our ancestors. This seems to come up over and over in these uh, experiences that family is usually, and the closer the family, the more likely they are to be among our uh, guides, spirit guides in this mortal realm. And so does that mean they didn't move on? I don't think so. I think they've moved to the light and I suspect they have been either assigned or volunteered to come and be guides for us. And does that mean they're with us all the time? Well, in one sense, yes. And in another sense, no. I mean, they're experiencing and doing other things, but I think they've always got, if you will, an eye on us. So, and, and, you know, since the spirit eyes, if you will, quote-unquote eyes, are much more expansive and attention can be granted to many things at once in some level, this is not a problem. Anyway, really enjoyed this uh, near-death experience. Fascinating, fascinating. Our website is neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. You can ask questions or make comments by calling uh, 970-NDE-CAST or you can uh, make comments on the blog or you can email directly, email me directly at neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. And again, thank you so much, each of you, for listening.